tonight. Proverbs chapter 9. I'd like to speak to you tonight. Life comes down to two things. Life comes down to two things. Let's start with a couple of observations made by, uh, made by some deep-thinking theologians. Not really. Let's start with Charlie Brown's sister, Sally. All right? Charlie Brown's sister, Sally, approached Charlie Brown, said this, I think I've discovered the secret to life. You just hang around until you get used to it. That was her take on life. A more real person, uh, though not much better guided, is a woman by the name of Marilyn Voss Savant. Marilyn Voss Savant today is about 70 or 72 years old, somewhere in in there. She is, uh, according to the intelligence quotient, the IQ, she is the most intelligent person on the planet that has a recorded IQ of 228. It's incredible, or just that kind of uh, IQ is is through the roof. Hers is recorded. It's registered at 228. Very intelligent, apparently. She is a writer, a journalist, a columnist, a playwright. She, I don't know if she still is. She wrote for a long time for Parade Magazine, and you could write her questions, and she'd give answers. So a man once wrote her a question posing uh, this thought, uh, which he qualified her que- his, his question by saying, quote, my life is more exhausting than I ever imagined. Is that normal? <coughs> her reply was that life indeed, his life indeed was normal. And then she gave the following analogy. This is arguably the most intelligent person walking the planet today. And this was her reply. Much of the time, life is like going through the airport steering a loaded luggage cart with a bad wheel. Sometimes you feel ridiculous, sometimes you look ridiculous, and sometimes all you can do is just try to generally push it in the right direction. That was her take on life. As smart as she is, her her opinion on what life comes down to is not really much more than the fictitious Sally Brown. I'm thankful that God's word gives us a far more clear definition about life and its purpose and the answers to which we can live our life by while we walk this planet. I think it's more than just hanging on like Sally said, and I think it's more than just generally trying to go in the right direction without trying to look ridiculous like Marilyn Voss Servant said. Repeatedly in the scriptures... We are pointed to either-or scenarios, revealing that God really does bring our life down to two things. Either-or. It's this or it's that. Moses does this in Deuteronomy chapter 30. He, he uses this when he's, and if you're familiar with the Old Testament, you know Deuteronomy chapter 30, Moses is coming to the end of his life. So he's addressing the nation of Israel. We talked about the book of Deuteronomy last week. It's really just a series of sermons that Moses gave to the nation in his last days. And in chapter number 30, he talks about this. There's a blessing and there's a curse. In that one verse, he says, I have set before you this day life and death. Blessing and curse. Life and death. Evil and good. Two things. Solomon in the Proverbs points to righteousness and wickedness. 
or he'll point to what is true and what is false. Jesus in Matthew chapter 7 telling that great story about the two builders said there's a wise builder and there's a foolish builder. All throughout the scripture there are really only two choices that were given when it comes down to what is right. So in light of eternity life generally comes down to two things. Proverbs chapter 9 it's 18 verses long. Proverbs chapter 9 is a great illustration of these this two things idea. Either or scenarios. It's either this or it's this. So we're going to look at tonight four pairings in this chapter and hopefully God will use this to increase our wisdom and increase our understanding. Don't let life get too complicated on you. It's really not that hard. God's word is really, it's really clear on this. It's not that hard. We just make a choice of one of two things. I'd like to read the whole proverb tonight in in chapter number 9. It's not that long. Um, And then we'll go back, and not chronologically, but we're going to look at four different pairings that the writer of this proverb comes uh, to us with and explains to us this is life. This is life. This is what it comes down to. Let's read it. Proverbs chapter 9. Wisdom hath builded her house. She hath hewn out her seven pillars. She hath killed her beasts. She hath mingled her wine. She hath also furnished her table. She hath set forth her ma- sent forth her maidens. She crieth upon the high, highest places of the city. And here's what wisdom is crying out. Whoso is simple, let him turn in hither. As for him that wanteth understanding, she saith to him, Come, eat of my bread and drink of the wine which I have mingled. Forsake the foolish and live and go in the way of understanding. He that reproveth a scorner getteth to himself shame, and he that rebuketh a wicked man getteth himself a blot. Reprove not a scorner, lest he hate thee. Rebuke a wise man, and he will love thee. Give instruction to a wise man, and he will be yet wiser. Teach a just man, and he will increase in learning. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and the knowledge of the holy is understanding. For by me, wisdom is still speaking here, For by me thy days shall be multiplied, and the years of thy life shall be increased. If thou be wise, thou shalt be wise for thyself. But if thou scornest, thou alone shalt bear it. A foolish woman is clamorous. She is simple and knoweth nothing. For she sitteth at the door of her house on a seat in the high places of the city to call passengers who go right on their ways. Whoso is simple... And this is her cry. Whoso is simple, let him turn in hither. And as for him that wanteth understanding, she saith to him, Stolen waters are sweet, and bread eaten in secret is pleasant. But he knoweth not that the dead are there, and that her guests are in the depths of hell. Ooh, that's two different endings, isn't it? Two different women calling out. We're going to make our way through this, and like I said, not chronologically, but let's pick up on four different pairings that the writer of Proverbs gives gives us, and and this is God's book of wisdom. John Phillips said it's God's book of philosophy for your life. This is an incredible book. I remember years ago, Dr. Manley, when he uh, he was talking about his personal Bible study habits one day, he said, I read Proverbs in the morning. To give me wisdom for the day, I read Psalms at night to give me peace before I go to bed. I thought, what a great practice that is. 
Proverbs is full of wisdom. And Proverbs chapter 9 tonight, I'd like to look at this thought. Life really comes down to two things. And we'll look at these four pairings, and they'll pop off. If they didn't pop off the page to you as we're reading it, they will come out because they're, they are as different as night and day. So let's ask God to bless our time in his word tonight, and then we'll, we'll get into these four pairs, all right? Father, thank you for your word. In Proverbs, it's practical and it's clear. And there are so many bits of wisdom in here. And this is one of those chapters in this book, God, when we can take it in its entirety and it seems to flow, telling us that we just have to choose wisely in this life. And so, Lord, help our understanding tonight. We won't discern these things in our flesh. These things are spiritually discerned. And so we're relying on you, Holy Spirit, to be our guide into this truth. We pray it in your name. Amen. First, the first thing, there are two calls in life. That's the first one. The first pairing is this. There are two calls in life. The first call is found in verses 1 through 4. The second call is found in verses 13 through 16. The call of the wise woman, the call of the foolish woman. Actually, it's, it's more this. The call of wisdom and the call of folly. So let's look at what this says. First, let's look at the call of wisdom in verse number uh, verses 1 through 4. Wisdom here is pictured, and not only in this chapter, elsewhere, wisdom is pictured as a woman. This particular picture says that this woman has built a fine house. It's on seven pillars, or its foundation. And you know, we're the Sunday night crowd here. You know the number seven in the Bible is significant. So today, to say that she has built her house on seven pillars is to say that she has built her house on a very solid, complete foundation. This is uh, comparable to that wise man who built his house on the rock in Matthew chapter 7. Her house, the Bible says, is built on a perfect or stable foundation. Looking through those verses again, you'll read that her house, uh, there's some things that mark it. First of all, like I said, it's on a good foundation. Second, her house is off the beaten path. Her house is away from the path, verse number 3, it's away from the path of normal human activity and travel. It says in verse 3 that she sent forth her maidens, her servants, from the house, and they're going out there to call people to come to her house. She's not sitting on the porch like the next woman we're going to look at. She has to send her maidens away, and that's because the wisdom she's offering is not like where the wisdom where people are living today. It's not in it's not found in the normal course of human activity. So she sends her servants out and the Bible says she's calling the simple. She sent them uh, she sent her maidens out, her servants out. She sent them to seek the simple where they live and invite them to come back to her for a better life. You see that? Her house is not on Main Street, America. It's off the beaten path. She sends out messengers and says, tell them to come. Proverbs chapter 22 and verse 3 says, A prudent man foreseeth the evil and hideth himself. Listen to the last phrase. But the simple pass on and are punished. It's the same word. The simple in verse number uh, 4 here As in Proverbs 22 and verse 3, the wise man sees danger and skirts it. The simple man 
passes on and is punished. The simple, he, the simple man, he's, dang, he's ignorant of the danger that he's in. I would, I would listen carefully to the Proverbs when it talks about the person that's simple-minded. It's talking about one who is lacking understanding and lacking wisdom and lacking discernment. And it never, listen carefully, it never works out good for the simple guy. He's not, it's not that he's just kind of bumbling through life and everything's funny around him. Everything in the book of Proverbs that talks about the end of the simple is tragic. She sends out her, her maidens, her servants, to call these simple away. Because if someone doesn't tell them, they're just going to pass on through life and they're just going to keep going on. And it says at the end of it, they're, they're punished. There in verse number 4, it says, Whoso is simple, let him turn in hither. This is wisdom's call. Come over here if you're simple. If you're without understanding, him that wanteth understanding, she saith to him, come. She's calling these folks who do not have understanding, not have wisdom, and offering it to them. Remember, James, if any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God liberty. What is wisdom? What are, what are we looking for? Wisdom's not intelligence. There are some really intelligent people in this world, far smarter than you or me. I shouldn't say it in you. You might be smarter than them. I know they're smarter than me. But they don't display that they have wisdom. Wisdom is not intelligence. So what can we use for wisdom? Wisdom's the right application of intelligence, really. But let's, for our purposes, let's use this definition of biblical wisdom. Biblical wisdom is knowing, understanding, and living out the word of God. You don't have to have a high school diploma or a college degree or a graduate degree to do that. Education's not bad. I think education's a good thing. But it's not required for wisdom. Biblical wisdom, heavenly wisdom, is tied to the word of God. So biblical wisdom, let's look at it in this chapter. Let's look at it in this light. It is knowing and understanding and living out the word of God. The wise man in scripture, the wise man lives by those principles that are put forth from the word of God. Job chapter 23 verse 12, Psalm 119, 103, Jeremiah 15, 16, and 1 Peter 2, 2. You want me to read, me to read those again? Job 23, 12, Psalm 119, 103, Jeremiah 15, 16, 1 Peter 2, 2. All of those verses describe the word of God like this. Food, honey, milk, or meat. What do you do with those four things? Eat them. You take them in. You internalize them. You consume them. All four of those passages of scripture refer to the word of God as something to be consumed, to be taken in. When we do that, we are accepting, we're accepting God's wisdom. That is spiritual food for our soul. This is the call of wisdom. And she says in verse number four, whoso is simple, let him turn in hither. For the man wanting understanding, verse five, come, she says. That's the call of wisdom. You and I don't have that on our own. We have to answer her call. We have to answer that invitation. So there's the call for wisdom, but then there's second, there's the call of wickedness, and that's on down in the, in the chapter a little bit. It's toward the end of the chapter, starting at verse number 13. 
there's the call of wickedness. Now, here's the, here's the context for that one. Wisdom is pictured as a woman, and in folly is described in verses 13, 14, 15, and 16. Folly is also described as a woman. A clamorous woman who is simple. What does simple mean? She's without wisdom. And she knoweth nothing. This is not talking about some lady out here, specific lady who's just dumb. This is a personification of folly in general. Wisdom is is at her house and she sent out her messengers because they're not traveling in their normal day-to-day lives. They're not traveling anywhere near godly wisdom. They're doing their own thing. Notice her call, though. Verse number 13, a foolish woman is clamorous. She's simple, knoweth nothing. Where is she at? For she sitteth at the door of her house on a seat in the high places of the city to call passengers who go right on their way So where the call of wisdom has to be sent out and made, this lady lives on Main Street humanity. Those people that are living their lives, every man and woman, boy and girl, born into the world, they are passing right by where she lives. It's natural for them to have what she is offering. Because her her folly is really worldly wisdom. And she doesn't have to go very far. She doesn't have to send out people to, she doesn't have to send out her maidens like it says about wisdom. She doesn't have to send out messengers down into the city because these people are living right where she, right where she's at. That means that they can enter into the house of folly with little or no effort or change in their life. They can just keep doing what they're doing. The New Testament calls, calls this person, these passengers that are going by her house, the New Testament calls them the natural man. It's you and I, without Christ, without the indwelling Holy Spirit, doing what we do because of what we know in our human minds. No godly wisdom. And she just sits on her porch. And she invites people to come in. In fact, these people have to make no change at all. They just have to continue in their own way. And they'll pass right by her house and take care of things. There's an important note here because in verse number in verse number 16 and 17 it's revealed that this woman is pictured as a prostitute you see that she's presented as a harlot she says in verse number 16 whoso is simple the guy with no understanding let him turn in hither and as for him that wanteth understanding he wants understanding what does she say though she says stolen waters are sweet Bread that is eaten in secret is pleasant. We're going to keep this between you and me. She's presented as a prostitute. This folly, this foolishness of man is an evil enticement to the pleasures of sin that are described in Hebrews chapter 11. She's calling out. And she's pretty successful. Can I tell you? She's pretty successful in her call. Because most of the world is going right on their way, making no change to their life whatsoever, and they're passing, they're passing up the call to wisdom, and they're living in this folly. That's why there's more people living in sin today than there are walking in righteousness. Because they don't have to make any change here. 
She's calling them to keep doing what they're doing, doing what comes naturally. And what comes naturally to you and me? Gravitating towards sin, gravitating toward feeding our flesh. If there is any hint in you, if there's any desire in you to be righteous, that's the Holy Spirit. That's his work in you and me. In my flesh, Paul said, there is no good thing. Left to myself, I will gravitate towards sin every time. It helps me to know that. Now, that's not beating you up. There is a, there is a uh, I don't know what the, what the right frame of this is. There is a perception today, especially among younger Christians, that to speak of our flesh in such a way as to say, look, in me dwelleth no good thing. There's a perception among the younger generation today to say, you need to have a better self-image of yourself. You're, you're beating yourself up a lot. That's not good for your psyche. That's not good for your self-image. Your self-image will send you to hell if you're not careful. A person has to come to the place where they say, Jesus in me, in my flesh dwelleth no good thing, but in you there's salvation, there's cleansing, there's healing, there's complete justification. But that's never going to be in me. Folly says... Let's just keep doing what you're doing. In fact, let's do more. Wisdom says, come out from among them. Come over here to my house. Yes, it's off the beaten path. Yes, the path to me is narrow and it's straight. It's not broad. But it leads to life. So you have this call. You have the call of of wisdom. And then here's this call of wickedness. Someone said that people are like water and electricity... They always choose the path of least resistance. I know water does that. Electricity is notorious for doing that, isn't it? I don't know a lot about electricity. That's why I do very little work, if any, on electricity in my house. I just, I don't like getting zapped. I, I hate it. <laughs> we were sitting one time. My wife laughs because she knows I don't like changing out a light switch at my house. I don't care if the breaker's off or not. I don't trust it. I have been zapped with 110 or 120, whatever that voltage is. I hate it. We were sitting one time in my mom and dad's dad's, uh, living room. We're sitting up there, and and it was one of those times when all of our siblings got together. We're sitting in their house. My brother Matt and I are sitting, uh, because we're part of the younger of the the siblings, we didn't get any soft furniture. We're sitting on metal folding chairs (laughs) while everybody else is on couches and chairs. We're sitting on metal folding chairs. And uh, he's on one side of the fireplace in front of the hearth there. I'm on the other side of the fireplace. And we're just all sitting around talking. And it starts raining outside and it starts storming outside. All of a sudden, a bolt of lightning came down that fireplace. Came between. This is the truth. I'm in the pulpit, so I'm not going to lie to you about this. <laughs> came between my brother and I, turned left, and hit my mom and dad's phone in the, in the kitchen. We were talking and having a good time, and just like that, it was dead quiet in that room. I just don't like electricity. I, that was way too close. Way too close. Electricity chooses the path of least resistance. Thankfully, that, that electric lightning, thankfully it hit that dumb phone. Nobody was blocking it. My nature is to choose the path of least resistance. And this foolish woman, 
that's pictured here, this call to folly, this call of wickedness, it's calling me to do something that's natural for me to do. Thank God for the indwelling Holy Spirit that says, don't do that, Mark. Don't go that route. That call to wickedness is so plain. Psalm 58 and verse 3 says, The wicked are estranged from the womb. They go astray as soon as they be born, speaking lies. You and I from jump, we had a sin nature. One of my favorite things, Pastor Cross had all of these old zingers. Pastor Cross was the pastor before me here. And what, what is it? You guys know. What did he call little children? Do you remember this? Little transgressors. Because people holding little babies, they're looking at that little baby and they're thinking to themselves, there is no way, this baby is perfect. How sweet is this baby? It is wonderful. When our firstborn was six or eight months old, I called my mom and I said, how do you know if a baby is being defiant or not? And she just started laughing. She said, you'll know. She said, she said something about, I thought you or Terry would be calling us pretty soon about this. It does, not take, it does not take them long, does it, to reveal that sin nature. You know why? Because of what Psalm 58.3 says. That the wicked are estranged from the things of God. We are estranged from the womb. We're born with this. It just takes a little time and far less time than you might think for that little baby to manifest that sinful nature. Start early, mom and dad. The book of Proverbs says, chasten your children betimes. That means early in their life. Don't let them get to be four and five years old and never know what a spanking is. If they're six or eight, it's too late for them. You've you've about lost that kid in today's world. Chasten them betimes. Chasten your children. Discipline them in love, but do it early in their life. Why? Because they're estranged from the womb. They're little transgressors. That's what they are. Ephesians 2 concludes that we are by nature the children of wrath. So when Folly sits up on that porch and she calls to us, it doesn't take much for us to turn in if we're not controlled by the Holy Spirit. There's the call of wisdom and there's the call of wickedness. That's the first pairing. Then there's the second pairing. Both of these women, now they're calling out to mankind, one to wisdom, one to wickedness. Then there's the second pairing. First, there are two calls in life. Second, there are two choices in life. Let's go to verse number four and see this. Whoso is simple, let him turn in hither, as for him that wanteth understanding, she saith to him, come eat of my bread and drink of the wine which I have mingled. Drop down to verse number 10. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and knowledge of the holy is understanding. And then go to verse number 16. Whoso is simple, let him turn in hither, and as for him that wanteth understanding, she saith to him. So there are two calls, there are two choices. When those calls are issued by wisdom and by foolishness, when those calls are issued, that leaves the choice with you and with me. As to how we're going to answer. That's the the builders that Jesus talked about. He he said one's wise, one foolish. So there there are two choices to be made in this life. Two calls leave us with two choices. First, in verse 4 and then in verses 10 through 12, 
That first one is grounded in heavenly understanding. You have a choice. You can operate in heavenly understanding. One can choose wisdom's path. And she, you remember what her call was? What was her call in verse 4? Turn in hither, right? What's folly's call in verse number 16? Whoso is simple, let him turn in hither. It's the same call. Two women making the same invitation. One to wisdom, one to wickedness. And the choice is yours. The first one is grounded in heavenly understanding. And those that choose the path to wisdom do so because they've come to understand some important truths. They have, first of all, come to understand the person and the position and the power of God and the difference that makes in our lives. They understand that. They understand God will one day judge the lives that we are living today. Romans chapter 14 and verse 12, 2 Corinthians 5 and verse 10. The person who answers the call to wisdom chooses her path because he knows what he's doing today is going to be scrutinized by God tomorrow at the judgment seat of Christ. In eternity, I had to write this one down. Listen to this. In eternity... Our destiny rests upon the choice we make concerning Jesus Christ. Would you say that's true? In eternity, when I die, if I go to heaven or hell, that is determined by what I do with Jesus Christ. But on this side of eternity, the quality of your life rests upon the choices you make concerning the word and the will of God. Your life on this earth, however long that's going to be, 50, 70, 90, however long it's going to be, your, the quality of your life on this earth rests on the choices you make concerning God's word and God's will. That's what's being talked about in verse number 12. If thou be wise, thou shalt be wise for thyself. That means it will benefit you. If you're wise, it'll benefit you, yourself. The other side of that said, but if you scorn, you're going to bear that too. Let, let me put it to you like this. Have you ever, and I'm not asking you to be judging people, and I'm not trying to be funny, but it's just a fact of life. Have you ever looked at someone, and you can tell the choices they've made in their life? You ever done that? This is where I've noticed it as I've gotten older. I'm not that old, um, but I'm older than I used to be. You are too. You just have to admit it. I'm friends with a lot of people on Facebook that I went to high school with. Some of them look a lot younger than me. But then there are some of them that they look 20 years older than I do. I was with a police officer here a few, a few uh, weeks ago. We had to go make a death notification. I'll be 57 next month. We went to make a death notification. This woman whose, husband, or, or whose son rather had, had been found deceased, and we had to let mom know. We woke her up, got her out of bed. Terrible. It's a terrible part of that particular ministry. We had to get information from her. We confirmed, first of all, it was, it was the mom, and then we had to get her date of birth. She was two and a half years older than I am. I thought she was at least 70. I, I, 
I'm saying this. What we choose in this life, it determines the quality of this life. Live according to God's word. Live according to God's will. And your quality of life on this side of eternity, it will be better for you. That's verse 12. If you choose wisdom, if, you cho- if you're wise, you'll be wise for thyself. You're doing this for yourself. But if thou scornest, if you say, no, I don't need that, and you're going to live your life the way the world wants you to, the way you want to, and do your own thing and do whatever you're going to do, if you do that, thou alone shalt bear it. You'll bear a consequence for that. You heard that story about Abraham Lincoln was, was choosing a new secretary of war during the Civil War. I think it was during the war that the, the position came open and switched. And he's choosing, and, and these men were coming in. They were candidating for the job. And this one guy came in. After the interview, he left, and Abraham Lincoln said, uh, he said, no, I don't like that guy's face. And, and one of his uh, one of the guys on the in, in the cabinet that was there in the interview process, he said, "Mr. President," he said, "He can't do anything about his face." And Abraham Lincoln said, "On the contrary, every man over the age of forty is responsible for his face. It's the choices we make. So choose wisely, choose wisdom. Don't choose folly." If you choose wisdom, you're doing that for yourself. But if you reject it, you'll bear it alone. There is, first of all, one grounded in heavenly understanding. And this person says, I'm going to choose wisdom. But then there's another choice you can make. One grounded in human understanding. And that's verse number 16. You can choose the choice of being grounded in heavenly understanding or in human understanding. It's the pathway of foolishness. It's the choice that requires no choice. You don't have to do anything. You remember? Her house is built right on Main Street where every all those passengers just go by in their daily lives. She doesn't have to call them very far off the beaten path at all. Just choose to do absolutely nothing. You just live in your own nature. And you know what Paul said? Paul said, that's exactly how I used to be. Listen to what Paul said in Acts 26 and verse 9. I verily thought, and don't you love the way he phrases this? I verily thought with myself that I ought to do many things contrary to the name of Jesus of Nazareth. That's exactly what you and I do when left to ourselves. He said, I thought to myself that I ought to do things, many things that are contrary to To Jesus of Nazareth, that's choosing to do nothing. That's the human understanding. He said, I thought with myself. Well, that's a terrible source of advice. You know, don't ask yourself, self, what would you do? Don't ask yourself that. Turn to the word of God. Not human understanding. The result of that is never good. Proverbs 16.25, There is a way that seemeth right unto a man, but the end thereof are the ways of death. It's not human understanding we need to rely on. So there are two calls in life, wisdom and wickedness. There are two choices in life. There is heavenly understanding or human understanding. Third pairing, there are two contrasts in life. Two contrasts in life. Verses 7, 8, and 9. Here's the first one. Verses 7 and 8, here's the first contrast, talks about the one who is unteachable. 
the one who is unteachable. Look at verse number 7. He that reproveth a scorner getteth himself shame. And he that rebuketh a wicked man getteth himself a blot. Reprove not a scorner, lest he hate thee. Rebuke a wise man, he will love thee. So, verse 7, the first part of verse number 8, first of all, talks about one who is unteachable. He is a fool, described in certain parts of the Proverbs. He doesn't listen to the Lord. He doesn't listen to logic. He rejects it. You can reprove him, but the Bible says he'll hate you for doing it. If you try to talk to him or her about their waywardness, the Bible says it creates an enemy. Verse number 7, or verse number 8, Reprove not a scorner, lest he hate thee. If a person is not teachable, and you reprove them in something, you call, you know what, I was, I want to mention something to you as your friend. This just, this is not good. If that person is not teachable, you have put your relationship with them on very thin ice. Don't reprove a scorner, they'll hate you for it. Proverbs 15, verse 12. A scorner loveth not one that reproveth him, neither will he go unto the wise. They just don't want to hear it. An unteachable person is hard to befriend. They're hard to pastor. Unteachable. Someone said, I don't know who said this, they said, wise men change their mind. Fools, never. Just just can't be taught. There's a man by the name of Akbarali Jitha. He is an Indian inspirational writer. Listen to what he said. See if you haven't seen this in life. Too often we change jobs, friends, or spouses instead of changing ourselves. That's somebody who's unteachable. That's Proverbs 9, 7, and the first part of verse number 8. Too often we change jobs, friends, or spouses instead of changing ourselves. The person who chooses human foolishness over divine truth is unteachable, and you can't help them. So, The two contrast, one is unteachable, but then there is one in verses 8, the second part of verse number 8 and verse number 9, there is one who is understanding. This is the street I want to live on. This is what I want to be. Look at the second part of verse 8. Rebuke a wise man and he will love thee. Give instruction to a wise man and he will be yet wiser. Teach a just man and he will increase in learning. There's the one who's unteachable, and then there's the one who's understanding. And they are very different. A fool, they will persist in their foolishness. They will just keep going no matter what. You can turn on lights and sirens, and and, and you can uh, can turn on flags, and and you can have everything going on and trying to warn them. It's not going to work. But the one who has understanding... He has a teachable spirit. Look what it says back in Proverbs chapter 1 and verse number 7 at the very beginning of the book. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and instruction. The fear of the Lord, teachability is such an honorable and honorable character trait. Be teachable. All of us ought to be teachable. 
this person, this one who has understanding, he realizes his own limitations and his shortcomings, and he takes every opportunity to grow in his Christian life. There was a Roman statesman and politician and historian. His name was Cato. He was called Cato the Elder. He has a much more proper name in Latin, but he's known in history as Cato the Elder. And he said, wise men learn more from fools than fools do from wise men. The Bible talks about that. I think he stole that from the book of Proverbs somewhere. And these two kind of people are all around us. There are those that are teachable and there are those that are not. There are those that are unteachable. There are those who have understanding. The unteachable have blind spots when they evaluate themselves and they they refuse to be corrected. Those with understanding not only recognize their need for growth, but admit they do not know what all those areas are that they need to grow in. They know they need instruction. They welcome the truth of God with joy. Those people in the book of Proverbs are called wise people. Stay teachable. Stay teachable. Grasp understanding. Two calls, two choices, two contrasts, and the last pairing is this, two consequences in life. Two consequences in life. You probably caught that early on in verses 5 and 6, this invitation that wisdom put out through her messengers, the invitation was to come, and look what it says in verse 5. Eat of my bread, drink of the wine which I have mingled, forsake the foolish and live, go in the way of understanding. That's a great invitation. First of all, you can attend the feast. You can attend the feast. There's two consequences. You can attend the feast. Doesn't that sound almost like the marriage supper of the lamb to you? Come. I've prepared the table. I've prepared it. The bread's ready. The wine's ready. Come. This is going to be great. We're going to have a great time. She promises to strengthen her guests, to satisfy them, to sustain them. She gives them everything they need now and in the future. In verse number 11, For by me thy days shall be multiplied, the years of thy life shall be increased. Do you hear what she's promising, this wisdom? I'll take care of you today. I'll take care of you the rest of your life. That sounds like the right invitation. There's two consequences. The first one is you can attend this great feast. And it's wonderful. She's what she's inviting you to. First Corinthians 2 9 says, I hath not seen nor ear has heard, neither have entered into the heart of man the things which God hath prepared for them that love him, now and later. It's a great, it's a great consequence that Christ is calling us to. It's a great end. He promises us a home in heaven in John 14. Choosing to live by wisdom gives us a little taste of heaven even before we get there. Did you know that's what the church is supposed to be? Did you know the local church is supposed to be a little taste of heaven before you get there? Fellowship with brothers in Christ, all different, but loving Jesus, worshiping Jesus, striving to please him. It's a little taste of heaven on earth, the local church is. And wisdom at the beginning of this chapter, she's saying, come. Table's furnished. Come and look at the table. Now, you've got to leave that broad path that you're on to do it, but come. Come to my house. Messengers have been sent out with that invitation all over the world for the last 2,000 years, inviting people to come. You can attend a feast, or the other consequence is you can attend a funeral. 
And that's what Folly's inviting you to at the end of this book, or at the end of this chapter, rather, in verses 17 and 18. She's saying stolen waters are sweet. Bread eaten in secret is pleasant. She's offering the same thing. Come, come on in. I've got water. I've got bread. Whole different meal. And then that ominous warning in verse number 18. But he, the simple, he knoweth not that the dead are there, that her guests are in the depths of hell. You can attend the feast or you can attend the funeral. While the wise man goes off to attend the feast in wisdom's house, the fool is heading toward a funeral, his funeral, and he doesn't know it. How many times have you read that in the book of Proverbs already? Chapter 5 and chapter 7 both talk about these people don't have any idea they're heading that way. Go back and read Proverbs chapter 7, and and especially as you get toward the end of the chapter, it says this, that the fool in that chapter, that's the one who's enticed by, by a woman who's dressed like a harlot, the Bible says. And the Bible says this at the end of that invitation and her call and all the promises that she's made for pleasure and all of that, the Bible says this, that that fool knoweth not that it is for his life. You see, folly's call. The one who's sitting on her porch and saying, come on, get involved in this. Come come on with this. Folly's call is, is what the world calls living life to the fullest. Taking advantage of everything you can. Doing what makes you happy. But the, the Bible says that she's making no preparation for you for eternity. That way of thinking. Her call to her stolen waters and her secret bread. Pleasures in sin for a season, but there's no prep at all for eternity. And that person who answers that, that person who lives that way, the Bible says, does not know it's for his life. Proverbs 7, earlier in the chapter, has a more graphic thing. It talks about an arrow striking him in his liver. It's foolish to toy around with this. The call of folly and the call of wickedness. There's this, there's this story that's told about this guy who failed in his business, so he gathered what he had left. His business flopped, and he, he, he lost his home. He was losing everything. So he took everything he had left, and he said, I'm just going to go out west, and I'm going to start over. I'm just going to start over out there, get a house out there. So to move, he bought an RV. He put everything he had into this RV, sunk everything he had into it, and then he packed it with what belongings he had left, and everything that he could, he spent on this RV, outfitting it for the trip. He stocked food in it. He bought clothes for the trip. Everything he had, he put into that RV, and he headed out west. And when he got out there, it dawned on him when when he got to the end of that journey, he had put everything he had into that trip. And he made no preparation for the destination. He had nothing left to start over with. Do you know how many people are going at their life on this earth in that same way? Everything they have, they're putting into this trip. And they're making no preparation for the destination. Those are the two consequences described in this chapter. The consequences are the end of it. One's promising a feast. The other one's not promising a a funeral, but that's what you're going to get. He knoweth not that it's for his life. 
This, this chapter goes through detail after detail and, and comparison after comparison and contrast after contrast showing you that really life comes down to two things. Go back and review those pairings. They're all saying the same thing. Choose Christ. Reject the world. Choose God. Reject the flesh. Choose wisdom. Reject wickedness. They're all saying the same thing. They all have the same end. James chapter 4 and verse 14 says this. Whereas ye know not what shall be on the morrow, for what is your life? It is even a vapor that appeareth for a little time and then vanisheth away. It's just a vapor. You've heard that poem, only one life, twill soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. You can't invest everything that you have and put everything you have into this trip with no thought of arriving at the destination. That's a terrible waste of your life here. One of my pastors, his name was Dan Broadus, he pastored at the Wickrow Baptist Church up in Taylor, Michigan. He said it like this, this life is the dressing room for eternity. This is not the stage. This is not the end result. This is not the destination. This is just, this life, however long it's going to be for you or me, it just allows us to prepare for the stage, to prepare for eternity. Life's not the stage. This life is your dressing room. This is where you get ready. This is where I get ready. Invest your time on this earth wisely, doing the will of God. Even as we sit here tonight, the vapor that's your life and the vapor that's my life is getting thinner all the time. That's just the way it works. Uh, we, we live in corruptible bodies. So it's true. What James says is true. Our life is a vapor, and it appears for a little time. And a lot of us in here have a lot less time than we used to. So what are you going to do with the time that's left? What, what, what do we do with that? We better choose wisely. Life comes down to two things based on Proverbs chapter 9. So this, there are two statements that I'll close with tonight. And let's see where we're living, okay? Here's the first statement. I am living a life based on the word and the will of God. I walk in the fear of the Lord and I serve him with all my heart. This is the life of the righteous and the wise that's described in Proverbs. Is that you? And then there's a second one. I am going my own way, doing my own thing, and never thinking about what God wants for me or from me. This is the life of the wicked and the foolish that the book of Proverbs talks about. Now, when I stand those two comparisons up or contrast up next to each other, you're looking at those, and most of us are probably living somewhere in the middle. We can't say that we just totally ignore what God has for us, but we may not be able to say, I'm just going all out for God. Most people live somewhere in the middle. I would, I would hope, though, that you and I, instead of being in the middle of those two things, I hope we're leaning a little more toward that first one. I hope we're able to say my life is being based on the word of God. 
that my home and my vocation and my spare time and my interest, those things are based on the will of God. My priorities are based on the will of God. That I'm trying to live out his word. That I walk in the fear of the Lord. Do you know what a good working definition is for the fear of the Lord? A good working definition for that. Every time, especially when it comes across in the book of Proverbs, you see that phrase a lot. A good working definition for the fear of the Lord is this. A constant awareness that God is present with you. When you look in, and it says the beginning of the Lord is the fear of wisdom, or or the beginning of wisdom is the fear of the Lord. The beginning of wisdom is the fear of the Lord. The beginning of wisdom is recognizing no matter where you are and how big or how small the crowd is, God is present. The fear of the Lord is a constant awareness that God is present with me. And we are to walk in the fear of the Lord. Now, if I'm walking in obedience, that fear of the Lord is not a cowering before him. It's not something that makes me think he's an abusive father. It's going to take me out. That's not the fear of the Lord. The fear of the Lord is just an awareness. God's present here. So the word that I'm about to choose or the attitude that I'm about to project or the deed that I'm about to do, God's right here. You know what? That keeps me walking a pretty straight line, doesn't it? The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Live the life of righteousness, the life of the the wise. Reject the life of foolishness and the life of the wicked. Proverbs does this. This is just one chapter in Proverbs. If you're familiar with the book, it does this again and again and again. Proverbs is an either-or book. There... Rarely, if at all, are you going to read of three choices in the book of Proverbs. I mean, Moses, Moses said it back in Deuteronomy 30. Life, death, good, evil, blessing, cursing. Solomon and Jesus, wise or foolish, righteous or wicked. It's just, it's two things. Everything in your life, young person, old person, everything in your life comes down to that. You may reject that kind of thinking. You may think this is really not for me. It it really is because it's going to matter in eternity. John Phillips said every person in the world has to choose Jesus or not Jesus. Every person in the world makes that choice. And every person that chooses Jesus has to make this choice. Am I going to live for this life or the next life? See it again? It comes down to two things. In your life, it's not complicated to follow the Lord faithfully. Just choose blessing over cursing and choose righteousness over evil and choose life over death. And and let God work in your life. It it straightens out my priorities so quickly. What's important What's important in eternity? Uh, Two things. Life comes down to just those two things. Let's stand, would you, with your heads bowed this this evening? This is kind of a practical, it's kind of a practical message for us, but it's also one that makes us choose and decide. Because it does come down to these choices and these consequences and these calls. It, It comes down to these things. So where are you living tonight?
What is God doing in your heart tonight regarding those four pairings? Maybe there's other things you're being dealt with. I don't know. The answer to this is answering the call to God's wisdom. It's surrendering to him in every part of my life. Some of you are holding back parts of your life. Your relationships, that's not up to God. That's going to be up to you. Your vocation, that's going to be up to you. That's not going to be, God's not going to have input on that. Maybe your marriage. Whatever, whatever you're holding back from God, can I just tell you the wise thing to do here is to surrender that to him. It's a choice. It's either or. I'm either surrendered to God or I'm not. Father, thank you for your word and thank you for making it clear. It's not hard for us to understand and your Holy Spirit has worded this chapter and others in such a way that we recognize we are choosing between blessing and cursing and righteousness and wickedness. Lord, help us to choose for you every time. Help us not to buy into the lies of this world, to give into foolishness or wickedness. Help us not to be deceived by baited hooks that the world offers. Help us to see through that, that the end thereof are the ways of death. Do in our hearts tonight what you would, I pray in your name. Amen. Let's hold our heads bowed.